Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus would. We're going to interview another one of our speakers from our upcoming conference in October as a special guest again on today's show. We're going to cover a lot of very dense information very quickly. So buckle up and let's jump right in. My guest today is Neil Shenvey from Shenvey Apologetics. Neil started his apologetics ministry to help Christians get a better understanding of the evidence for Christianity and to help atheists and agnostics think through the claims of Christianity. He is well recognized for his amiable and gracious approach, his desire to accurately represent those who disagree with him, and his effort to understand opposing positions. Neil graduated with an A.B. in chemistry from Princeton, a Ph.D. in theoretical chemistry from UC Berkeley, and was a postdoc at Yale. In 2015, he quit his job as a research scientist at Duke to homeschool his four children. His ministry tagline is Christian Apologetics from a Homeschooling Theoretical Chemist. Neil, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I can't think of a whole lot of apologists today who could have that specific ministry tagline, Christian Apologetics from a Homeschooling Theoretical Chemist. Uh, How has your background in science affected your approach to apologetics? I really credit my training as a scientist and as a theoretical chemist for teaching me how to think carefully and logically about any problem. So actually, one of my favorite classes as an undergraduate was not in the sciences. It was Philosophy 101 with Boss Van Frossen. And uh, I enjoyed it because it Maybe was that was actually my first class that taught me about thinking. And then I began applying that just approach to sciences, obviously. And then when I became a Christian in graduate school, I began to apply that same kind of thinking through ideas carefully to Christianity and then to sharing the gospel with other people. Uh, so it's really not about the technical stuff. I mean, theoretical chemistry is very interesting I did a lot of quantum mechanics and quantum computation, but it touches on areas of Christianity only very tangentially. But that said, it did teach me how to think through things logically, carefully, precisely. You have become something of an overnight sensation because of your research and analysis in the area of critical theory. How would you explain what critical theory is to our audience in a few sentences as if you were talking to somebody who may have never even heard of the term before? Sure. So critical theory is a very broad umbrella term that encompasses a large number of entire academic disciplines like intersectional feminism, critical race theory, critical pedagogy, queer theory. These would all be critical social theories, and they all have in common a shared interest in understanding how power operates within society to reproduce 
systems of oppression and injustice and domination. The modern manifestation that's most relevant to our culture would be found in a discipline that's it's kind of an unusual label that Robin D'Angelo gives to it, but she calls it critical social justice. It sees the social fabric in terms of oppressed groups and their oppressors along lines of race, class, gender, sexuality, physical ability, and a host of other factors. And I guess the last thing I would say is that it thinks of oppression occurring not just through coercion and tyranny, but through ideas. So ideas that are perceived as normal and common sense and objective and universal are actually these bids for power. They're attempts by the ruling class, whether it's whites or men or heterosexuals, to justify their their dominance. And so social justice then would consist in undermining and exposing how these values, these norms, these ideas are really just arbitrary impositions of power, and then working to deconstruct these ways of thinking, these ideologies that reinforce this uh, oppression. So that's, in a nutshell, what uh, you know. this manifestation of critical theory is. People call it different things. People will call it cultural Marxism. They'll call it intersectionality. They'll call it critical race theory. And there is no one label people use for it. So it's people like are casting around for the right term to use. But call it what you want. I, I, I use the label contemporary critical theory. Uh, James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose call it applied postmodernism. Tim Keller recently wrote an article about it where he calls it postmodern critical theory. So you can kind of see the terms vary, but they're all describing more or less the same phenomenon. How would you even further simplify that explanation of what critical theory is if you were explaining it to your five or seven-year-old? Sure. So I would say that the essence of this way of looking at reality is dividing everyone up into the oppressors and oppressed, and essentially then the the good people and the bad people. The bad people have power and are oppressing the good people who are oppressed, and their goal is to take power away from the bad people and equalize it. Not give it to the good people necessarily, but really spread it around so that everybody shares power. Do you think critical theory is compatible with biblical Christianity? So in the sense I've described it, no, because it's functioning as a worldview. So and I've been encouraged to see a number of many other people from a wide variety of backgrounds, like you know Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian minister, James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose, who are uh, secular liberal atheists, John McWhorter, who's a linguist professor who's talked about anti-racism as a religion, they're all picking up on the fact that whatever this phenomenon is, call it wokeness, call it critical social justice, uh, whatever it is, it's functioning as a, a worldview, as a way of viewing all reality. Worldviews don't play well together because they are comprehensive. They are all-encompassing. And so Christianity clearly is a worldview. It's a story we tell about reality, sort of this meta-narrative from creation to fall to redemption to restoration. And it answers all the big questions in your life, like, who am I? What's my problem? You know, what's the problem of humanity? What will solve that problem? What's my purpose in life? What am I living for? What's my primary moral duty? So Christianity answers all those questions, but so does this ideology of contemporary critical theory, critical social justice, 
it answers those questions, but in radically different ways. So just for one example, rather than seeing yourself primarily as a creature of a loving, good, and holy God who, whom you've rebelled against and uh, you know, from whom you need to be uh, you know, forgiven, you need to receive restoration, that's the story that Christianity tells. Instead, contemporary critical theory tells a story where you're real, who are you? Well, you're a member of various oppressed and oppressor groups that are locked in the struggle for dominance. Your problem is oppression. Various groups are oppressing you and, and depriving you of access to resources in society. And the solution is not Jesus Christ coming to rescue you. The solution is to adopt identity politics, to work on behalf of justice, to, to be an activist, to divest yourself of your privilege. And the goal is not a new heavens, a new earth. The goal is equity. The goal is inclusion, diversity. The goal is social justice. So worldviews do not play well together. You're going to be forced to choose which worldview has primacy in your life in, in almost on an hour by hour, minute by minute basis. So that's this, the primary reason these two uh, ideologies are, this is why this ideology is incompatible with Christianity. Thanks for the clarification, Neil. If critical theory, the way you've described it, and biblical Christianity are incompatible, why do you think so many churches and Christian universities are embracing this? Yeah, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, for one, I think, uh, you know, Christians, evangelicals in general, just tend to be a bit reactionary to the culture. We tend to just pick up on what's hot and trendy and don't necessarily filter it through a biblical grid and ask what is true and biblical and what is not. We just see it as something that sounds good. And the other, the other thing, too, is that we don't do that with everything, but contemporary critical theory really does speak, in some sense, a Christian language. It talks about things like justice, and it talks about the evil of oppression. And Christians, when you hear those words, you think, well, obviously the Bible talks about justice. The Bible talks about oppression. And what we don't often realize is that the way that contemporary critical theorists define those terms is very different than what the Bible means by them. So in that way, we can be very easily convinced that they're talking about the same thing when they're not really. And then other issues are that you know the purpose, the end goal of critical theory, in, in at least in their mind, is to stand up for the vulnerable, protect the weak. And again, that's deeply ingrained into the Christian imagination, this idea that one of the prime virtues is defending the vulnerable. And, and you know, that's not, that's not a modern thing. Christians have always recognized that you know, close to God's heart are the cries of the poor, you know, caring for widows and orphans in distress. So when you're presented with this ideology that seems to value what you value, it's very easy to get swept up in that um, and in the bandwagon. I mean, this ideology is just everywhere in our culture. So it's it, it takes a lot of um, careful reflection to realize that this is not what it claims to be. What would you recommend to people if their pastor has already started preaching sermons like wokeness or white fragility or white-centered theology? What would you recommend they do? The first thing I'd do is to not freak out. If someone can use a term like social justice, and they might— not, they might not know what they're saying exactly. They might um, they might be defining the term in a biblical way. They might just mean biblical justice, which obviously is not incompatible with the Bible. 
So, for example, the ESV uh, section translation notes for Exodus twenty two sixteen say laws of social justice. They're they're not using that word in this pernicious neo Marxist fashion. They're using it to mean biblical principles applied to our nation's laws. So, the point is, don't freak out. I would email them, set up a time to have coffee or lunch with them, and ask them. When you use this phrase, what did you mean? So, And listen to their answer. If you have concerns about something particular they said, that you said, well, this can't be made compatible with Scripture, be specific. Say, you said this, but I don't think it's compatible with this verse. So don't be vague. Don't just say, I, this sounded postmodern to me. <laughs> be specific. And then also, I would just ask them, are you familiar with some of these ideas? Have you read the primary sources? Again, I'm amazed how often I've seen pastors who will recommend books having not read them simply because they're popular. And maybe if they'd actually read those books, they might realize, actually, this is really toxic. We should not be teaching this. We're embracing it from the pulpit. So all those things I would say are you know, first steps to take. I have found that when you present your concerns to pastors and to Christian leaders, and you're very careful and explain exactly why you're concerned. I think most Christians, committed Christians, do see the problems. Don't just pick up and leave your church because you heard the wrong words on Sunday. But I would be concerned because this this ideology is spreading very rapidly. So don't be don't be an alarmist. Don't be paranoid, but also don't be naive. And if you're talking to a regular churchgoer who believes in critical theory or critical race theory specifically, what Bible verses do you use to best expose these as lies? I get that question a lot, and I think it's, it, it's like asking, what Bible verses do you go to to convince a Buddhist that Buddhism and Christianity are different? It's hard to even know where to begin. You're talking about an entirely different worldview. So, for example, if you say something like, well, is our main problem oppression or sin? Gosh, all of Paul's letters? <laughs> what Bible verse do you go to to show that our primary problem is sin? Uh, what Bible verse do you go to to show that our primary identity is in Christ? All of Colossians? <laughs> so the point is, I don't think that there's an embarrassment of riches in terms of showing what their conflicts are. I think the harder part is identifying that there are conflicts like at this deep level. So you won't find secular scholars saying things like, our primary identity is not built on Christ, but on our race and gender, because they have no, they're just not concerned with Christian theology. So you have to begin, not read between the lines, but you have to ask the Christian, when you, these people you're reading, when they talk about who we are, do they ever mention religion? Well, of course not. Although that's exactly right. They, they're assuming, as an a priori presupposition, they're assuming that your identity comes from race, class, gender, sexuality, etc. It doesn't even occur to them to think that there's a higher identity uh, actually, for Christians, certainly, but even for non-Christians, we're all made in the image of God. That's not a category. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly places you could go to. So, one, it's a little bit tricky, but Galatians 3, 26 through 28, where Paul talks about how there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. 
that's often, I think, misused to argue, well, there, there should be no ethnicities, no races. We shouldn't even talk about race or ethnicity in the church. And I'd say, well, that's not a good application because Paul talks about gender too. We certainly don't become gender blind or genderless in Christ. We just, it just, the verse means that in Christ, now we have equal standing before God. Uh, there's no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile, slave nor free, that in Christ we're all equally justified and beloved children of God. Uh, maybe a better verse than to go to is Philippians 2, I forget the, maybe it's 2.11, but where Paul's listing out all of his credentials and saying, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew, Pharisee of Pharisees, but he says, so he's listing all these categories of identity, things that make him special, make him proud. But he says in the end, all of that I consider as loss, as dung, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So that verse shows you he's talking about ethnic categories, educational categories, religious categories. Uh, and he says all of that is dung, is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And so that's a good verse to show you that when we can have other identities. We can, you can be Irish, you can be American, you can be male, obviously. You can, Paul was proud of being Jewish. Paul talks about his Jewishness a lot in his letters. But he says when it comes to being a Christian, that's what comes first. And that new identity in Christ radically demotes all other identities. They don't disappear, but they become so much less important that's just maybe a good place to go to in terms of identity. And there, there are many other places you could go to in terms of talking about sin and the need for redemption that, again, would just undercut the basic grid through which critical theory views the world. Well, I know you are super busy, Neil. So thank you for taking the time to do this talk today with us and share your insight on this important topic in today's culture. Great. Thanks, Roy. We only have time to quickly answer one question this week. Here it is from our website. Why is critical theory and intersectionality and the social justice gospel infiltrating Christian universities, seminaries, and churches? Now, that's a great question, and it's uh, very timely with our discussion with Neil Shenvey today. Let me just recap a couple of quick definitions for those who have never heard these terms before. Critical theory is a movement based on the teachings of atheists Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud that seeks to interpret the world through the single axis of power and help overcome the social structures through which people are designated and dominated as oppressed. The social justice gospel is a movement that started out with the goal of economic equality through the redistribution of wealth. Since then, it's expanded to include other spheres of social life like the environment, race, gender, other causes, and manifestations of inequality. Intersectionality is a system of discrimination and oppression formed by a hierarchy of mutually interlocking categories of race, gender, class, health, sexuality, etc., that's a lot to cover in a very brief amount of time. So if you want to, we also have this question posted on our website. And you can look there to review the answer and dig into more of the details. But what's important to understand is these movements, these systems, 
they aren't just a collection of auxiliary philosophies that are unrelated, but together they comprise a replacement worldview, a worldview that is absolutely incompatible with Christianity. Let me give you just a few examples of some of the inherent contradictions within the systems themselves. Number one, they assume that power is a zero-sum game. In other words, that means that there's a fixed amount of power in the world, which means that if one person gains power, necessarily somebody else has to lose power. This is simply untrue. Think about it. Power is like so many other good things, like wealth, beauty, happiness, love. It's something that can be created by someone without taking from another. The second problem is they presuppose axioms or assumptions without basing them on observations about reality. Let me give you a few of those. Number one, lived experience is more valid than objective evidence. What I've experienced in my life is more trustworthy than something that I can observe and test. A second one is that the primary human duty is to liberate oppressed groups. There is no way to test or disprove these foundational claims. Not only does this make it unscientific, but inherently anti-scientific and ultimately anti-truth. A simple expression of how this works out is that morality changes based on who the person is. An example would be they would believe that blacks can't be racist or they would believe that women can't be sexist. You start to get the idea. So back to the question, why are these clearly unbiblical concepts infiltrating Christian universities? I think it's because the most persuasive lies are those built upon a kernel of truth. At the core of each of these systems of thought is a God-given sense of justice, that the poor and the vulnerable should be protected, and the guilty should be held accountable. These are good precepts because they are biblical precepts. They are borrowing from the Bible at the same time that they are rejecting its author. Now, if we're honest, perhaps we could admit as the church that we've left a void by ignoring the biblical command to seek justice for the poor and oppressed. And since the church hasn't done a good job of leading in this area, it's allowed these false philosophies to grow up and to take root. And now, ironically, it's the Christian institutions themselves that are unwittingly swallowing the venom of these worldly philosophies because of the kernels of biblical truth that they contain. So then, what's the solution? I don't know that there's one perfect solution, but let me just share a few thoughts. Number one, engage in this conversation with humility and active listening. All people deserve the dignity of being heard, and all of us have blind spots, so we should welcome a friendly critique of our own positions. And number two, above all else, think consistently. Look for inherent logical contradictions, both in your own worldview and then in others. 
and always demand the high standard of truth for all of your beliefs. Now, how about you? Where are you with the Lord today? What hard questions are you struggling with? The Bible has answers. In fact, it has the answer to the hard question that you are struggling with right now. You can do this, and the Ambassadors Forum is here to help you get started. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com. That's ambassadors, plural, with an S, theambassadorsforum.com. While you're there, you can look at some of the questions that we've already answered. You can ask us your hard question. You can sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. You can browse through some of our helpful resources. Make sure to follow us on Facebook. You can sign up to join us at one of our monthly forum events where we have great speakers presenting on relevant topics. And lastly, make sure to sign up to attend our annual West Coast Apologetics Conference on October 23rd and 24th. We're just a few weeks away. At this conference, you'll be able to listen to excellent apologists like Neil and a host of other gifted communicators equip you to better defend your faith. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 